KRCL, Salt Lake City. In honor of Volunteer Appreciation Month, everyone here at the station wants to say thank you to the countless number of volunteers that make KRCL, KRCL. From 1979 to 2022 and beyond, we would not be here without our dedicated volunteers. Whether you're a DJ, you're out hauling a tent all summer, or you're on the board or answering phones during Radiothon, it all goes to making KRCL what we all know and love today. Yes, indeed. And thanks, Al, for being a volunteer. You're welcome. A little uh, Neil Young to get us started. Woohoo! Homegrown. It's the way it should be. There we go. This is Radioactive, and it's Punk Rock Farmer Friday on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones in studio with... Al Dine, I'm right here. Thank you so much, Laura. KRCL's Punk Rock Farmer volunteering his time to bring us more true tales from the agri-hood. So, folks, stick around, and you're going to hear a lot of cool stuff tonight, like? Well, we have Jen Carrington with us, and uh, she's from Vintage Lily Farm out in Eagle Mountain, and she's got a lot going on, and uh, we're going to talk about that. And also Chandler Rosenberg's with us, and she's with Plant-Based Utah and the Utah Food Coalition. And you know me, I'm going to squeeze in a bunch of stuff. I thought I was doing really well last week, Al, and <laughs> taking it easy. But then some cool stuff came up. So we got Skywatcher Leo T. on the way. Got a voice memo from the folks at the Tanner Humanities Center, because Raj Patel is going to be in town next week. Also, what else? I already said Skywatcher. Oh, Spock from Spock's Gate Camp is going to be talking about that new Tony Hawk documentary. But before we get to some fresh homegrown music from No Resolution and Jerrica Boston, we have Shell Yeah in the studio wrapping up her 12th hour at KRCL. <laughs> but by um, by day you're with KRCL and all your other time is with Rock Camp SLC, shall we say. That's right. It has my heart. Well, so does KRCL. There but, you go. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to just tell folks that applications for our summer sessions have opened. That's for our campers ages 8 to 17. We have two sessions of camp happening this year, uh, June 13th through 18th. July 11th through 16th, and we have a new location at East Hollywood High School. That's over in West Valley at about 2100 South and 3600 West. We're really excited to partner with them. They're a performing arts school. They're really into the arts and uh, and videography and productions and stuff. Will that mean videos yes. coming out with the bands? We're hoping so. We're, we're definitely going to collaborate with them, and we've got a good partnership. Some of their students are going to be campers as well. Um, and yeah, we are all about production. So, um, we were doing a shout out. We, we opened applications at rockcampslc.org. That's where you can apply for your camper or that's where you can apply to volunteer. 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 And, uh, we're already uh, twisting Jerrica's arm, our featured artist tonight, <laughs> about joining up with Rock Camp. And that's what's really cool because I wish his camp was around when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you also need lots of folks, musical and not. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, there's it, we. it's a music camp, but really it's an empowerment camp. So we use music as, as the tool to have kids take up space, be loud, uh, you know, just know that it's okay to exist and uh you know we're specifically our camp focuses for uh girls transgender non-binary and gender expansive youth uh you know those marginalized voices sometimes get pushed to the back a little bit and we're saying come up front be loud um make some noise and what's what sing your song you know write your truth uh so 
Yeah, camp's a very, uh, what? okay. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's something that has changed a lot of lives, and I know this is for the campers and volunteers, but the volunteers, you don't have to have musical experience. It's definitely a plus, but having experience working with youth or teaching or uh, therapy, uh, you know, this really is a therapeutic uh, reality, you know, a little bubble that we have going on at camp. And uh, um, on that note as well, we really want to prioritize our the safety of our most vulnerable at camp. So we will have COVID uh, safe protocols. Uh, expect that if you are able to be vaccinated, we will want you to be vaccinated okay. um, and, or masked up. Uh, but I mean, I definitely we're open to having conversations about things, but we want to make sure that our most vulnerable are safe at camp. I like what you said about you don't have to have musical knowledge to help out uh, folks. If you're a musician, you'd like to. That's great. But it also applies to the campers. In fact, I love how punk hmm. rock way they put the bands together, Al. So mm -hmm. Shell, tell us about that, what campers can expect. Well, you know, you show up. Well, when you apply, you tell us what you'd like to do, whether drums, vocals, keys, guitar, or bass, and we'll kind of prioritize them and see where everyone will fit. Uh, you show up, and we'll assign you an instrument. We'll assign you a band, and then you just start writing a song together day one. Uh, you'll have uh, some workshops that help you go through that process, but really it's just like, hey, write some stuff down, you know, like. Just do it. Just tell us about your favorite cheese, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's really quite elaborate. I mean, well, it's really quite simple, but it creates this elaborate um, um, magical experience for the kids. And by the end of the week, you know, these are 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. days. By the end of the week on Saturday, they're performing at a showcase. It'll be at the Commonwealth Room um, for our first session. We don't have the time yet, but, you know, I'll be come. back. Yeah. <laughs> Shell yeah will be back. It's mm -hmm. really cool. If you've ever thought, you know, you know, maybe band at school isn't for my kid, but I wish they could form a band of whatever stripe, whatever genre. Here's an opportunity. And you do have financial aid available as well. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our the the application fee is $300, but that's a sliding scale. It's completely like pay whatever you want. And uh, we do a lot of fundraising throughout the year to make sure that like basically if you can't pay for camp then you're number one on the list you know we make sure that i mean you might even be going home with an instrument the, we understand <laughs> that this is something that like you need music and uh we don't want to have anyone miss an opportunity yeah. because of something like uh you know finances that's just you know music's such a powerful tool so we've had folks come out of rock camp and end up playing music on this show one way or the other whether it was the grown-up version yeah or some of the bands so we look forward to see what coming comes out of it yeah. and with the partnership now with east hollywood high some recording and some videos i think might be coming yeah well camp, and now milan uh, atkins is our uh our production director our director of production and so That's we're she's going to have a full-on production crew and even we'll get some of our teen interns on there uh you know learning about running the boards and yeah. other things like that so managing bands maybe there's a track for that yeah absolutely. that's coming i hear so shell what's the website one more time rockcampslc.org and on that website you can find a, how to apply how to volunteer how to donate um you know and it'll give you all the dates on there so um, okay. you can also follow us on facebook or instagram and that's also rock camp slc shell yeah we'll put it in the show notes thanks so much thank you y'all all right some fresh homegrown music now al dine no resolution we have jerica boston with us how you doing dear good how are you guys you said this is the first time your stuff's ever been uh played on the radio and you're pretty excited about I'm it i'm so excited <laughs> the first ever of all time my babies are growing up <laughs> oh, a shout out to our board member chip who 
ran into you at a coffee shop or something? Yeah, he came into the diner where I work, uh -huh. and he sat at the bar, and we just got to talking. And then by the end, we had exchanged information, and now here I am. <laughs> well, what did he say to us, Al? He gave me a piece of paper and said, BYU, quit, form punk band, go. So <laughs> there's then, more to it than and that. And then Laura gave me the little piece of paper <laughs> with the scribbles on it, and I'm like, I got in touch with you. Pretty funny. Yeah, so what's, what's your musical ethos? Oh boy, um, I guess I've just known my whole life that this is what I wanted to do. What, by the time I was like two, I was performing in front of big crowds, like, and I knew words to like the what national anthem as a toddler. That's what you know, doing? yeah, like in front of junior highs and high schools, and like as a little kid, I just always was such a ham on stage, and I wanted to do this. But I also was the child of like a lot of classic rock influence, which turned into '90s alternative, which turned into Blink 182 and Yellow Card, which kind of birthed my taste in music and I've always been kind of a little emo punk at heart despite my sunny exterior <laughs> and so I just knew always that my dream was to be in like a little punk band with like a cult following and to go on tour with my friends and that that would be the ideal way to live my life. You guys do it really well. Laura's a big fan of yours already. Thank you. <laughs> I'm telling you. It's some good stuff. And so you put out an EP last year called The 11th Hour. We're going to hear a couple cuts off it throughout the hour yeah. tonight. What's this first one, Water Tower, about? Uh, water Tower is about, for lack of a better term, a water tower. There's Which one? one? It's on 6400 West. It's red and white. It's like a checkerboard pattern. One. Yep, I grew up in. I grew up on the west side. It's over by the Frito. Yep, place. right there, right there. <laughs> and it was kind of the place. Uh, my best friend of 10 years and the guitarist of my band. Um, it's about him. It's kind of from his perspective about our friendship, our sophomore year of high school, and how it was kind of life saving for both of us and how we just needed each other in that time. So that's like that's my song for, for Zach. This one is Water Tower and Fresh and Homegrown, No Resolution, right here on KRCL 90.9 FM.
Sometimes when this place gets kind of empty. It's one sky, many cultures. Skywatcher Leo T here. Ready for liftoff? Let's go. Let's make the big jump with hundreds of thousands of pounds of fuel. And let's launch from the Earth. 10, 9, 8. We have a go for main engine start. We have main engine start. 4, 3, 2, 1. Up, up, and into orbit, going almost 18,000 miles an hour to reach orbit and stay there. Fly around the blue and green orb a few times, then get ready. We'll fire the thrusters again and lift up, out of orbit at 25,000 miles per hour and escape the gravitational pull of our sparkling planet and head up and out. A look ahead, where we're going in the solar system. Let's scope out the planets that rise in April. In the pre-dawn sky in April 2022, we'll see a dance of morning planets as Venus, Mars, and Saturn are all visible before sunrise in the east-southeast, forming an expanding diagonal line that lengthens into summer, and the sky is all of our heritage. It's many cultures, one sky, and high above the Big Dipper these evenings, nearly crossing the zenith or the top of the sky, are three pairs of dim, naked-eye stars marking the Great Bear's feet. You know it as the Big Dipper. These stars make the legs of that great bear. They're also known in early Arab lore as the Three Leaps of the Gazelle. They form a long east-west line, roughly midway between the bowl of the Big Dipper and the sickle of Leo. In the Arabian story, the gazelle was drinking at a pond, which is the big, dim, comma, Bernice star cluster. The gazelle bounded away to the east when it was startled by a flick of Leo's nearby tail, or the beautiful Denebola. Leo, however, seemed quite uninvolved. He's facing the other way, enjoying the weather or something. And closer to home, our life-giving stars blasting ions out toward the solar system as a major solar flare erupts from a canyon of fire 12,000 miles deep and 120,000 miles long, gathered its forces and released powerful streams of magnetized solar wind Sunday and Monday from the south-central part of the sun to play the joker to our Earth's satellite signals. This is an extreme ultraviolet part of the electromagnetic spectrum, causing auroras on Earth to rage and roar like a lion. As we mentioned last week, Apollo 16 and 17 were the last human spaceships to visit our own moon. Apollo 16, landing April 20th, 1972, spent three days exploring the plains of Descartes, gathering rock samples. Also, Apollo 17 landed in December and collected lots of rock samples as well. And, well, uh, a new study examines a moon rock collected by the astronauts during Apollo 17. Scientists have found patterns that point to a 20 million year cooling period during the moon's history, defying previous understanding of lunar evolution. The team was measuring phosphorus in the sample when they found interesting patterns of chemical variation within the rock's mineral grains, which include olivine and plagiocase minerals. A geologist's delight as we keep looking up, looking around, and exploring space. Skywatcher Leo T. Many cultures, one sky during Punk Rock Farmer Friday with Skywatcher Leo T. Check tonight's show notes for a link. I'm Laura Jones. It's radioactive. And Aldine, I wanted to share a clip of this interview that Spock did for us. I kind of threw him into the deep end, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, he, I don't think he understood I was asking him to do the interview, but he, like a champ. So he's speaking with Sam Jones, the, the director of this new documentary, Tony Hawk Until the Wheels Fall Off. And they are both old skaters, Tony Hawk, Sam Jones, and Spock, a.k.a. Eric Aquilius. Here we go. I've watched a lot of your off cameras uh, and some episodes repeatedly. I, that's fantastic stuff. So, oh, thank uh, you very much. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked to be chatting with you. This is pretty damn cool. 
Thank you. You know, this struck me as a, as a cautionary tale of success. Uh, what, and I know that you had Stacy and, and, and Tony on your first uh, episode of Off Camera back in 2012, I think, or 2014. Did you know what angle you wanted to go with this documentary or did it start speaking to you as you started working through it? Well, I, I, knew, I knew the general themes that I wanted to explore. Uh, but but I'm not the kind of filmmaker that creates an outline before making a doc. I even if I have it in my head, uh, or or if I have avenues I want to explore, I try to I try to be open to um, to sort of having the time and and the curiosity to follow multiple paths and then you know. But but I did know going in that I really wanted to explore identity. And and you know when you're wrapped up with something that you've you've loved since you're you're 10 years old uh, in, in this case tony and skateboarding uh, and and it's become your whole life you know your identity is really synonymous with a pursuit and i think those things can be difficult and they can be interesting when you when you uh get to know people that that you know that they've they've been known for sort of one thing their whole lives and how does that affect their relationships their, uh, you know, their, their self-esteem, their, their level of success. Uh, and so that was a big theme for me, for sure. And, and speaking to people like Stacy and Rodney, uh, you know, those guys are pretty, pretty good at uh, expressing those kinds of themes as well. So that's where I started. Definitely. The things that I really appreciated that you did within this documentary was, um, you you went for it. You went into it. You you had you had Dwayne on there. You had Christian on there. These these people were definitely man, I don't know if the word nemesis is <laughs> is the correct term to use, but but to tell Tony's story, I'm glad that you followed up with those guys and chatted them up because that's a huge part of the early part of his uh, his climb, you know. And oh yeah. What were you thinking? What was your approach? Or what did you learn after talking to those guys? Well, you know, Tony and I are close to the same age. And so we sort of we sort of had those same group of skaters, that first generation, Tony Alva, Stacey Peralta, Jay Adams, uh, Steve Olson, uh, Mickey and uh, Steve Alba, uh, and Dwayne as people we looked up to. But they were also kind of scary. You know, you go to the skate park and the kids that were a few years older, um, you know, it, it's certainly different than skateboarding now, where it's a very inclusive sport and and people are very uh, sort of aware of, you know, taking care of kids at skate parks and and it's a, it's become a very lovely, nice pursuit. But back then in the early '80s, late '70s, you go to a skate park and uh, uh, there was definitely this sort of you know hierarchy or cliques or or you know levels of of uh of groups for lack of a better term uh and so these guys were scary and, and we saw them in the magazines and so they were kind of to us in our minds they were celebrities and so i wanted to include those people so that i could give a greater understanding to the gauntlet that tony had to go through to get where to where he did you know he had as the film says he had very little uh physical talent and he 
developed late, so he didn't have strength in his body. And, um, and his father was helping with the contest, which put a target on his back. And because of the way he skated, uh, and he had to use his entire body to get speed, to get amplitude, to make it to the top of the bowl, his style wasn't as smooth and powerful as some of these guys that had more developed bodies and that were a few years older. So talking to people like Dwayne, Neil Blender, Christian Asoy, uh, you know, I tried to paint a picture for viewers of, of those ad, you know, those adversarial conditions that Tony had to face. And you did it well, you know, you've got Dwayne that is, you know, the burly skater, and then you have Tony that's tech skater. And then you have Christian that's power flair style skater. Uh, these, there's, that's the wonderful thing about skating is we all create our own signature um, within this, within this life's passion, you know, um, I really liked how you brought his family issues and, and into the, into the fold to tell the tale, um, and the aspect of, of fatherhood and, and, and Tony being born to people that were not, you know, this wasn't their first child. There's such a wide, range like his old uh, his next oldest sibling was so many years away from him so for him to grow up in that type of situation um was intriguing I, I i learned so much that i did not know about tony i mean i know i'm friends with with tommy and i'm friends with cab because we're all from norcal originally i'm from san francisco in the bay area originally so i'm friends with those guys i go back to the same era that you were that you were speaking about um following these people in the magazines the big takeaway on this for me was when we got into the, the fame and the success and the pitfalls that came with it. Um, did you feel that you got what you needed from Tony and I mean, Mullen was powerful in some of the things that he said and, and Lance, everybody just had such deep resonance with their, their, understanding of what's going on with someone else or their interpretation of it um what did you did you feel you got what you wanted out of out of these interviews did you have to push very hard to get them to open up uh no i think i i, I never think of my interview style if you could even call it that as pushing um i i like to i like to converse with people more than i like to have a any sort of a Q and A or, or more formal interview. So, um, right. and, and obviously it helps that I was there and skated all those contests because I was able to, I was able to just turn it into more of a conversation than, than I, I didn't have to, I didn't have to find out any base information from these people when I sat down with them because I, I had my base knowledge from being there. So I was able to get more quickly to the feelings and the, and the, um, you know the some of the more experiential things rather rather than having to do a fact finding mission with these people so so yeah to be able to sit down with rodney and lance and steve um you know i was able to ask them questions that that were more uh gave them an opportunity to really share their perspective on what it looked like uh skating with tony and seeing how he dealt with stuff and that is filmmaker Sam Jones uh, behind Tony Hawk until the wheels fall off, talking with Utah's own Eric Spock, Achilles Spock.
you're gonna have to call and correct me i'm sure but uh we've got him set al to come in actually with his sisterhood of shred uh, before Mother's Day and talk some more about skating in Utah. So, folks, it's streaming now on HBO, HBO Max, I believe. All right, Aldine, uh, rallies and resources. We've got a spotlight we're going to shine on Plant-Based Utah. Plant-Based Utah. Um, Chandler Rosenberg's with us. My buddy that I just met recently up at the up at the Capitol with the Red Acre Farm ladies, and then I've seen you around a few events yeah. and around the local food scene. We've been tell, hanging. Yeah, <laughs> tell us a little bit about Plant Based Utah and how it started, the origin and things. Yeah, so Plant Based Utah as a nonprofit, we started back in 2017. Uh, it was started by a group of doctors. Um, and other healthcare providers and just community advocates who wanted to educate the community about using plant-based nutrition and food as medicine. Love it. Um, yeah, I don't know if you all know this, but a lot of doctors don't get any nutrition education, so then we, the community, don't get very much nutrition education, so just trying to beat the drum for plants. Right? I mean, that that's t what a terrible thing not the, the food is so medicine-y and we don't we're not putting the word out there but you've been putting the word out there you're working on it you guys have an annual event and and um tell us a little bit about that yeah so that's our main event we do a symposium every year plant-based nutrition symposium up at the park city hospital uh we've had to cancel the past two years due to covid but typically we bring different doctors to talk about how diet can prevent or uh just help different uh, chronic diseases. So we've had some people come talk about uh, heart disease, diabetes. Uh, we also bring in some environmentalists. Um, Keegan Coons, one of our favorites, we try to bring him back every other year. He produced uh, What the Health and Cowspiracy on Netflix. What the health? I like yeah. that. <laughs> so is that coming up still, or what's the deal? Yeah, so we've canceled the last two years due to COVID, and we just didn't really want to move online because we love getting together. The community element is um, part of why we do it, but it will be back this fall. So um, date still to be determined, but likely November. All right, we'll have to have you back definitely for that. Do a panel. So COVID shed a light on the more importance of healthy food and uh, – you guys fed a bunch of people, like 1,200 families. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Tell us about that. Yeah. So COVID kind of uh, threw a wrench in things because mostly what we do is in-person educational events. Um, but it did provide an opportunity. We'd been kind of looking like, okay, how can we get this message of healthy eating um, to people who really need it most and folks who may not have access to healthy food? So with COVID, of course, we saw um, how much food insecurity there already was in the U.S., um, and so we just kind of put our heads together and thought, okay, what could we do? Called up a bunch of folks um, and decided to do uh, a food relief project where we put together 1,200 boxes of shelf-stable plant-based meals, um, things like beans, rice, flour. I think we did some dried tomatoes and spices. Um, and yeah, just put together those grocery kits. Um, most of them were distributed through Catholic Community Services um, up at their food bank in northern Utah. Um, and then we sent some to uh, the IRC as well. So that was kind of a stepping stone and you guys got more input that it was really something yeah. that you really wanted to do. And you got some more new ideas coming. Yeah, up. the community really showed up for that. So we were like, OK, people are on board with food access. Like, what can we do? And I had been reading about the food system and uh, especially the emergency food system and the fact that it's like, okay, we have food banks, which do serve, you know, a great purpose, but uh, food banks are kind of growing and hunger's not going anywhere. And so I thought, okay, how can we affect food supply, especially healthy foods? Because a lot of what we see at the food bank um, is processed, uh, donated from, you know, big food corporations. 
Um, so I just kind of was looking around and found a grant from a group called the Center for Nutrition Studies. Um, they were funding just any sort of sustainable farm projects, uh, but the deadline was like the following week. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, so I didn't really have time. I was like, okay, I can't do this on my own. So um, I called up Darren Mann from the Village Cooperative. I had been a member of his CSA. Really liked what he was doing with the backyard farms in Rose Park and just said, hey, can I apply for this grant? And if we get it, let's do some more backyard farms. And that's what we did. And backyard farms will tell people like it's a share kind of a thing where a third goes to the homeowner yeah. and a yeah. third goes to you guys and a third goes to like food banks and things. Right. Yeah. So we just put out a call, asked folks to donate their backyards. And we had like 10 people willing to do it in the first week um, that we put it out. And yeah, so exactly, a third um, is sold through a CSA, so anyone in the community can sign up. A third is donated to volunteers, so anyone in the community can come and help out throughout the season and take home some veggies. Um, and then a third is just donated free. Last year, primarily through uh, a free farm stand, but this year, um, most of it, I think, will be going to a partnership with Comunidades Unidas. And now uh, there's a, another thing, connecting folks to the farmers, consumers to farmers. And this is kind of where the Utah Food Coalition comes in, I think. Yep. So Darren and I got talking about just all of the problems with the food system, and he's pretty well connected with small farmers um, who are really struggling. I mean, they are the ones growing the healthy food that we need if we want to improve our diets, um, but they are not really being supported uh, to, the, to the degree that they need to be. So we thought, okay, what can we do to kind of, you know, rally more support for local food? And so we thought, let's do a food coalition. So we're calling it the Utah Food Coalition. Um, we're still in the very early phases, but um, primarily we just want to educate the community because if you think about it, we don't really have an opportunity to learn about food anywhere. Like in Japan, I think in elementary schools, uh, they teach kids about where your food comes from and everything, but here we don't know, and we just think like, okay, everything at the grocery store is great, when it's usually not. So, <laughs> Well, there's the food pyramid, right? Oh, wait, lobbyists yeah, get involved exactly. in what's on the food pyramid. Exactly. Well, and the USDA, this is crazy to me, the USDA releases the nutritional guidelines, you yeah. know, what you're supposed to eat, but then on the other hand, the, the subsidies um, are supporting the exact opposite of that. So it's just like, yeah. okay, we've got to educate people about the problems. We've got to advocate for better policies and then just bring the community together around local food. Great stuff. It reminds me of when ketchup was named a vegetable. Oh, wait, oh. that's Rock Against <laughs> Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I digress. So Utah Food Coalition, you're, you're asking for folks to get involved, general public? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this needs to be broad-based. We were, you know, our vision is a local food movement where we have more support for locally grown food. Um, this year, I guess, kind of our main efforts were still, you know, getting off the ground and trying to understand, okay, who's in the local food scene? What are folks doing? Where can we be most helpful? Um, so really just trying to network um, and provide educational opportunities for the community. So we're doing a food skills workshop series in partnership with Animalia, um, which is a great store in town. Um, and the idea there is just like, let's reconnect to people to local food, teach them how to do it. So, you know, we want to do things. Our first one's uh, coming up in April with Fungal Focus. They're going to talk about mushrooms, you know, the significance for uh, the ecology and lots of health culinary yeah health stuff with mushrooms yeah. lots of lots of benefits and then we're gonna do uh we've got a few others planned just like how to we may do like a knife skills workshop just really bringing people back to their food um we do also have some volunteer opportunities for those backyard farms if folks want to get involved where do they get in touch with you 
Uh, so right now, no website yet, but Utah Food Coalition on Instagram. Cool. All right, we will put that in the show notes, folks. And uh, please keep us in the loop. Please yes. come back. We've already made some connections among folks on the show tonight. Speaking <laughs> of which, good stuff. We've got no resolution in the studio. Jerrica Boston is with us and featuring cuts from the EP Eleventh Hour, a rele- release last summer. Are you working on some new stuff? Yeah, we are. We have been for a while. We actually released a Christmas song in December. It's I my, that. I was it's my it. Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> I, it's a fever dream of a Christmas song, but I love it. Um, but yeah, like stuff's in the works right now. We're we're adding new people and experimenting and thinking about stepping forward. And I have this whole idea for a hundred new songs to be written. Really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's fun and kind of in in relation to this I like writing about other people's experiences I like writing from other perspectives I like writing about movies and literature and pop culture and stuff like that Catcher in the Rye yeah, exactly tell yeah. me a little bit about this next song so I had reread it uh, about the time when I was writing this song and I also knew a person who kind of embodied the same energy as Holden Caulfield to me just that angsty angry teenage boy you know and who just the world is against me and uh, nothing's going my way and I have to do uh, like ah the world is so heavy and I don't know what to do about it and it's interesting because I did not relate to the song at all when I wrote it but I found myself uh, re-listening to it and finding ways to relate it to my life so even though I'm not holding Caulfield or an angsty angry teenage boy I think that like this feeling is universal despite that and we learn a lot of that from literature and from other people's experiences. And this is my favorite song. Very good. This one is Catcher in the Rye, fresh and homegrown, from No Resolution on KRCL 90.9 FM.
I can't trust anyone Cause you said you wouldn't go You said that you would be What keeps the music playing on 90.9? Listener support. Listener support is our rock so we can be yours. Our spring radiothon is coming up on April 22nd, and you can support KRCL through monthly gifts that keep us going so we can keep you going. Help us start our drive on the right foot and give a gift today at krcl.org. Hey, radioactive listeners. This is Katie from the Tanner Humanities Center, inviting you to join us for a visit from award-winning author and filmmaker Raj Patil. He's in town April 13th and 14th for a film screening and Tanner talk centered around the themes of food justice and climate activism. On Wednesday, April 13th, we'll screen his documentary, The Ants and the Grasshopper, at the Broadway Center Cinemas in Salt Lake City. Then, Thursday, April 14th, Join Tanner Humanities Center director Erica George for an unscripted conversation with Patel at the Utah Museum of Fine Arts. For more details and to reserve your no-cost seat, visit thc.utah.edu and click on the Tanner Talks tab. Thanks. And that's a community voice memo. Nonprofits out there, you can send them for me if you want to speak directly to radioactive listeners. This is Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. Aldine Carousel's punk rock farmer in the studio. I'm really excited for Raj Patel coming to town. That's stuffed and starved. We're talking about food security when we do this show with you every Friday night, Al. That's the big thing these days, yeah. for sure. We're, that's what we want to get the message out there, for sure. Jen, Jen Corrington's with us today. From out, She's out in Eagle Mountain. And Jen, you have a you have a CSA. You have a really nice little farm. You're on five acres. I know you started as a homestead, kind of before the pandemic hit and stuff. But you were really lucky to grab this piece of land. Tell some folks, uh, tell our folks out there, where you're at and what your little plots like. Thank you so much. Yes, we, uh, my husband and I, have always wanted to live in the country. We used to torture our kids and make them. Um, go for drives in the country <laughs> and um, we finally achieved this dream about uh, seven years ago we had just a little half acre homestead and uh, about two and a half years ago we happened upon um, this five acre property really close to where we were and it completely fell into place it was a year before the pandemic and everything completely snowballed. Um, that year I met up with somebody who um, was running the farmer's market. Um, she became a good friend of mine and I started selling, started with baked goods. And we just had our own chickens and goats and it has completely snowballed. I mean, since, since the pandemic, you've started to not just feed yourself, you have the idea you're gonna feed folks. And, um, yes. and you have a CSA, Community Shared Agriculture, and it's a great model, I think. It's um, it's a one of based around choices, and uh, the folks get to choose what they want. You don't just get a set box, and it works really well for you too. Tell us a few of the some of the stuff you have in your box. 
So um, this is actually the first year that we'll be doing our CSA right. boxes. Um, we have a um, produce, of course, um, but we also sell eggs and um, baked goods, breads, jams, cinnamon rolls. Um, we we do have a micro dairy that won't necessarily be part of the box, but that can be an add-on to the box. Uh-huh. We also um, raise and process um, meat chickens, and that can be an add-on to the box or part of the box. And we feel like, you know, there might be some people who don't want necessarily all produce every week and right. they might want more of a complete diet. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of our, our idea that we can give people um, a little bit more of a choice. And I think that's great. Uh, you know, when you get a box, maybe you don't like some of the stuff in it or maybe you don't you're not familiar with it. That kind of thing. Exactly. Um, go, go through some of the animals you have. You have the you have pigs and you actually have the the Idaho pigs that are the same as oh, yeah? Chris, Chris Argyle has. Oh, and that yeah. he, he was on our show last week. And there's a reason for those pigs because they're really I'm tell tell us about it. Yes, I before we got our pigs, I researched for about a year about the breed um, because pigs can be very aggressive yeah. and dangerous. We and know. we have a family mm -hmm. farm. And one of our huge things is tours. We love to do tours with kids. Um, and so this is um, the breed is Idaho pasture pigs. And they are known for not rooting around and um, th being really friendly. And they are my um the our main pig she is so friendly she will come up to the fence and talk to you and she loves to be rubbed on and <laughs> um but they are really a great addition to our farm and we are raising them um for meat as well that we'll be able to sell that so you have chickens you have goats yes we have goats and you're thinking about goat milk yes we um do goat milk we have we've done it before but right now our goats are dry they'll be coming into milk the end of this month and we'll be selling goat milk goat milk soap um, all of those products, I love to be able to uh, be very sustainable mm -hmm. and um, self-sufficient, and I love helping transition that to the community and providing for those um, around us. So you're, buying, you're, you're, you're building your little store in the corner. You have your milking parlor with a couple of sets to milk. Yep. And then you, you have three cows that you milk. We do. And there's a way you stay under the radar as far as the, the strict legal stuff that goes is – um, under a certain amount of gallons a month. So thanks to Red Acre Farm, they are such amazing advocates for um, small farmers. And uh, they were able to pass a couple of years ago um, a law for raw milk dairies where if you sell um, only 120 gallons a month, then you don't have to be the big, ha go through all of the inspections and then the certifications. And um, so we just do on-site testing. We make sure that everything is clean. Um, and so we just have a really small micro dairy and we love it, but we are serving a about 30 families and I love that that we're able to provide um, that food for um, people in our community you have a lot going on with community stuff and you give back a lot you have the future farmers of America there and you guys let them board some sheep there and, and for trade we do um, my 16 year old daughter is involved in um, the FFA program at our high school and I have been able to connect with the teacher and some of the other students and it has been such a great thing. They are such amazing kids. Um, they do so many great things for agriculture. And um, we had arranged with a couple of our um, the kids who are in the program that they really were wanting to start raising um, sheep 
for other FFA kids to be able to show, but they needed a place to do it. And we had a little bit of extra room. And so we've arranged a boarding arrangement and I get some um, labor from them and then they get a place, a healthy place for their, their um, sheep to be raised. And let's talk about your daughter has a show you. Yes, she does. <laughs> this is her first year show. So she showed um, goats last year and her um, this is her first year showing um, a lamb at the um, at the fairs and the sock shows and things. So she's, she's really excited about beautiful. That, that le- the the sheep. She's so. <laughs> My daughter is too. Uh, well, <laughs> yes, of course. But, but I was just uh, trying to be clear. I thought that was really cool. I thought that yes. was really cool. You have a place in your barn where you can prepare the chickens. That's something that you can do, and you can sell your own chickens. Yes. Um, what else do you have going on? Oh my goodness, you have you have some. Uh, here's some more community stuff. You have a f- community garden spot where there's three slips for folks in your neighborhood to come and grow. Yes. So we when we moved to our property, there was already three um, acre pastures set up, and we decided we didn't need all three for animals. So we have dedicated one to food. We call it our food pasture. And so I've got some um, you pick areas going on that people can come pick berries and um, grapes. But we also have some extra room. And I thought, well, I can't farm all this myself. And I've got some great people that are coming to help me that they live either in an apartment or smaller property. And so they wanted the opportunity to grow. And so I said, hey, why don't you come and I'll give you your own row Um, It benefits me, it helps my soil, because I'm all about improving soil biology, but it helps them. I'm very passionate about helping people realize that you don't have to have a huge farm to be able to grow food. There's so many opportunities. If you live in an apartment, you can grow on your patio. If you have a small backyard, and um, with everything with the pandemic and all of the food shortages. Uh-huh. I am very passionate about people realizing what they can do for themselves right where they are. Very good. You know, and more community stuff. You have a farm camp that you do for kids too. I do. You you are you have so much going on and you you're and you you're doing it. That's amazing. I really love it. Thank you. My family does think I'm slightly <laughs> crazy, which I think I am. I think you have to be to do stuff like this. Uh-huh. Last year was our first year with our farm camp and it's for 5 to 12 year olds and it was so much fun. I loved bringing kids in um and each day we focus on something. We run it for 4 days during the summer. Um, each day we focus on a different portion of the farm, whether it be an animal, whether it be gardening, and I let them get in there and help me. Um, they planted watermelon last year and corn, and then the last day we have their family come back for the last hour, and the kids get to take their family around the farm and show them what they've learned, and the excitement in the kids' eyes was amazing. I've already had people contacting me this year. Are you doing your farm camp again? My kids can't <laughs> stop talking about it. So really excited about that. Uh, you know, and you're building community. You're hooking folks to where the food comes from, yeah. and they're responding. Uh, you have some folks that really love your milk, and they bring their kids, and they come and feed your animals for you, like on a regular basis. <laughs> Seriously, this has, I have been connected, met some of the most amazing people. I have 
actually more than just one family. I have multiple different people that have somehow either bought something from me or volunteered. I have one person that's turned into an amazing apprentice. She is so excited and arranging volunteers for me. Um, uh, this other family, they were uh, one of my milk clients, and they said, you know, we'd love to come and help out. And it's turned into they are coming three days a week with their homeschool family. They are coming and feeding all of the animals um, in the mornings. And they love it because they can feel like it's their farm. Oh, that's so cool. So yeah. great. My, I'm just hearing my granddad um, just passed on, but he was a farmer up in Twin. And, you know, by the time I realized what he was doing as a farmer – it was, you know, into the age of corporate farms and mechanized farming and um, trying to get farmhands. And here we are in a pandemic where it's hard to find labor. It sounds like other folks in your community who needed an outlet during COVID found you and created uh, safe, socially distant ways to connect to the land, it sounds like. Absolutely. I think that that has been the thing that's been so amazing. You know, I'm a first generation farmer and I don't have that background and and I wish that I did. But it's so empowering to see so many people um, realizing that we need to know where our food is coming from. Mm -hmm. And it's not as far removed from us as we think it is. We're talking with Jen Corrington of Vintage Lily Farms in Eagle Mountain here on Punk Rock Farmer Friday with Aldine Strychnine, KRCL's Punk Rock Farmer, myself, Laura Jones. And we just have so, uh, some minutes remaining here with Jen. And you had said earlier, uh, this went by really fast, Al, I had a half acre and then I went to five. <laughs> <laughs> and my family may think I'm a little bit, you know, <laughs> ambitious, uh, I'll say politely. So how did you manage that? Or is this a family endeavor? I mean, <laughs> or does your... Husband, is he the CPA and you're the <laughs> farmer? What's going on? So um, it is, I'm our youngest daughter, so we have six kids, and our four oldest are out of the house, okay. our um, almost 18-year-old. They're like, whew, exactly. before she got that five acres. <laughs> exactly. Um, and our 18-year-old doesn't really want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. Our 16-year-old, she does love it, but not all the in the hard work she's more yeah. about the animals uh -huh. um but it is mostly my husband and i and last year he does have an outside job yeah. and last year when we saw how this was snowballing i decided to um quit my other job and become yeah. a full-time farmer and then this year i'm um managing our city's farmers market i've been involved with it um for this is my third year and my friend that is, has been managing it is moving and said, do you want to take over? And because I'm not crazy enough, I <laughs> said yes. <laughs> so, um, which is really exciting. Again, I'm hoping that we can encourage other people who are not just farmers, but have that they can grow food in their backyard and sell their mm. surplus. And so it's I'm excited about you're it. You're recruiting now. And yes, and I'm <laughs> recruiting. And Definitely. You're, and you're not done yet. You have a, an orchard there that has been kind of fallen by to the wayside. You're working on getting that and going actually, and come back together. Really exciting news. I found out today I was approved for a grant to revive my orchard and expand yeah. it. Right? I'm so glad you mentioned that. I was getting to the farmer's market part. There's And, and so you're also going to be doing some events. You have... So, uh, yes. lunch on the farm and then a big harvest dinner at the end of the year yes again like i said i'm so <laughs> passionate about helping people realize where your food come from comes from so i wanted to do farm to table lunches um and one dinner at the end of the year a harvest dinner to bring everybody together to help them to see where 
it all comes from and why it's important for us to not lose these skills. I think you're doing an amazing job, dear, of mm. showing people where it's coming from and bringing them in. And what a what a just feel good feeling I get from talking to you. We went on at the farm for a while and we wrote down all the stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, how are we going to get all this on the show? <laughs> no wonder you were giving me the side eye earlier. All right, we need to talk. We need to talk. <laughs> so where can people catch up with you and <laughs> learn of all the things and get involved and come out? So I am on social media. I am on Instagram and Facebook at Vintage Lily Farms. And uh, we have a website, VintageLilyFarms.com. We will soon have our page up for our CSA sign up as well as our farm camp sign up. And you can message me at either of those places. Such a pleasure meeting you, and I'm sure we're going to be having her back because there's just so much to dig into, Well, right? she's got so much planned that we're going to have to check in and see how it all went for sure. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm coming to that dinner. I told you, we, <laughs> me and your kids will play a couple songs for that the That is perfect. <laughs> I would be so excited for that. <laughs> well, check tonight's show notes for a link to Vintage Lily Farms and everything that Jen Corrington and her family are doing out in Eagle Mountain. Yes. So, beautiful place. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We've got time for one more song tonight, Al Dine. Jerrica Boston is here from No Resolution. Big shout out to Chip Lumen on our board who ran into Jerrica at Vertical Diner. Is that where it was? Oh, sorry. I forgot to turn your mic up. That's yeah, Vertical Diner. <laughs> that's where I work. And that's where you shot a video for this next song we're going to play. Yeah, it was so much fun. I talked it over with my sister-in-law and her husband who live in New York and they own a production company. And when we were visiting, I said, hey, do you guys want to do a music video for us? And they were like, what do you want it to be about? And I'm like, you have full creative freedom. This is what I have at my disposal. And I kind of said that the diner like might be something that we could use. And they came with this whole idea of like the, the food and our faces and throwing it and all fun <laughs> stuff like that. Because this is just a song about like, uh, I'm the worst. You know, like everyone's always felt that feeling of, wow, messed up again. Awesome. <laughs> like, and I just think it's kind of fun and relatable. It's it's our party song. We always close with it at shows. It's just it's just fun. You guys are taking a little break right now, but you have something coming up. Is in June? Yeah, our only show that's currently on the docket is at June is on June fourth at the Loading Dock. We're opening for a touring band from Oregon called All Hype, and that should be exciting. But also, if you wanted to like keep in touch with us, we're on Instagram at No Resolution Band, and then also we have a bunch of stuff on Spotify and Apple Music. And you said the band was going through a little transition period, maybe yeah. growing a little bit yeah. and the direction shifting or just sound? Maybe. It kind of depends on what we do with the people that we have. We, I kind of convinced my best friend and my husband to do this with me. I made my husband learn the drums in a month for our first <laughs> show, and he nailed it. He's amazing. Um, but he's been a piano player his whole life, and he's a singer too. And so I'm like, okay, how can we use you better? And we'll get a different drummer. And yeah, so we're we're in that process of trying to figure stuff out. And it's been really fun and fulfilling because at the end of the day, all I've ever wanted to do was be a be a performing musician. Well, I love it. I love I love the band. <laughs> Thank you. This has been so much fun for me to be here with all of you and to like meet everyone. And, and I think she's volunteering at a couple farms now. <laughs> oh, so. yeah. Oh, <laughs> I want to come visit your farm for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> great stuff. What a great show. Thanks, everyone, for coming. This next one is Knucklehead, and it's no resolution. Fresh and homegrown on KRCL 90.9 FM.
It's kind of fun to self-destruct. Disaster is my game. Will I ever stop pretending? Will I figure myself out? Cause I'm a failure shipwreck. KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. Spring is here, and Radiothon is on the way. I'm Laura Jones from Radioactive, and it's your opportunity to sustain Listener's Community Radio of Utah. Because we've been there for you, I know we can count on you this time around, too. Check out the new t-shirt designs, and then get ready to do your Radiothon thing for KRCL. Live and local since 1979.